0: Miss the show, no worries. On point and on this podcast, on this day that we're supposed to talk about mental health issues, let's talk about those who are causing a lot of this collateral damage, their failed policies, their failed lockdown strategies, and their failure to actually invest in services to help those who don't need talk, they need action. We'll talk about this massive truck convoy as it inches closer to Ottawa, and organizers now are trying to push back against rhetoric from You know, fringe groups calling for violence or who are drumming up calls to stage some kind of Capitol Hill type event. So we'll talk to one of the many organizers of this convoy trying to keep the focus on the cause before it gets hijacked by fringe groups or even politicians pushing their own agenda. Justin Trudeau gets away with what he does because we have a feckless opposition that can't launch any meaningful attacks that stick. And part of the reason for that is because while trying to expand the base, Aaron O'Toole refuses to stand for anything. And so he's seen as standing for nothing. And pressure's mounting to topple his leadership. And new polling reveals that one name is way out ahead as the preferred leader. So can he survive? And the Trudeau government is talking tough... To Russia. But our response sounds hawkish, but in helping Ukraine's response, it speaks loudly, yet we're carrying a little twig. Talk to Mark Norman about what our response should be. Let's get talking.
1: This is on point with Alex Pearson.
2: Canada is standing with Ukraine. The world's dictators are watching to see if our alliance of democracies has the will. And the capacity to stand up for the rules-based international order we must and we will show them that we understand the gravity of this challenge and that we will rise to it we
0: aren't we won't and the world's authoritarians are laughing at us alex Pearson with you on this wednesday january 26th and oh boy there's so much going on today a ton going on we got a really busy show you know there's all this news coming out certainly the latest is uh canada's role in ukraine or more um i think more aptly put lack thereof because the prime minister just came out with uh Chrystia freeland and anita anand where they look they talked a, a good game i was like okay this is what we want to hear they delivered all this talk on how canada is going to stand steadfastly with the ukraine and then they announced um but we'll do as little as possible i mean ukraine is begging for weapons and we aren't sending any no lethal aid, no weapons, just talk. And a hashtag campaign. That'll always help, you know. I mean, we could do more. They could have announced by now enacting Magnitsky sanctions to target Vladimir's, you know, Putin's wealth that he's hidden all over the world. That's not happening. And yeah, we could send weapons and a show of force, but we're not going to bother. Instead, what we will send Ukraine in part is body armor and night goggles. Mm hmm. And Trudeau made clear that a diplomatic response is a solution and that standing with Ukraine shows the spirit of finding diplomacy. Well, okay, no. Putin is not interested in diplomacy. He wants control of Ukraine. And today Canada basically told him, it's yours, go ahead, because nothing announced today sends Ukraine any of the actual support they're begging for and certainly doesn't show Russia that we are serious. And retired Admiral, Vice Admiral Mark Norman is going to be joining me at eight o'clock to explain, you know, what we can, what we could, what we should be doing. But also, you know, maybe he can explain what does NATO stand for anymore? I mean, if defending democracies or Ukraine's independence, you know, is, is as dire as we're told, night goggles won't cut it and and neither will all the blinking that we keep seeing our allies doing. So we'll talk to him. We're also going to talk about, of course, these rolling convoys that uh, will be rolling through the GTA over the next day or so as they inch their way to Ottawa. And one of the big challenges uh, these convoys face is the threat of having their message hijacked by those, you know, determined to push their own agenda. And these convoys are are making headlines all over the world. And of course, they started as a pushback to vaccine mandates, but they... They have morphed into a much bigger movement of, you know, real anger across this country. And of course, yes, there are nuts who will attach themselves to it, to these things. There always are. But a lot of these people are just absolutely fed up with the last two years of government overreach that has been very, very destructive. And um, Prime Minister Trudeau was asked in the last hour, you know, how he sees you know, the convoy and how he, um, you know, sees this as, you know, they're going to be on his doorstep in a couple of days.
3: The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent the views of Canadians who have been there for each other, who know that following the science and stepping up to protect each other is the best way to continue to ensure our freedoms, our rights, our values as a country.
0: Well, you know, someone might want to tell the Prime Minister that this convoy is not small. And, and, you know, he really shouldn't be so quick to dismiss all of the anger because of the fringe. Because contrary to popular belief, there is very, very real and very warranted anger across this country. And I don't think it should be dismissed by those who are responsible for causing most of it. I mean, it's great that all the politicians are out there doing their let's talk messages. Okay, well, like, let's talk. Let's talk about how their failed strategies have been a cure far worse than the disease. The KMH uh, released research today showing that anxiety, depression, and loneliness is now at the highest levels that we have seen in two years, especially with women and frontline workers. And of course they attribute a lot of it to these never-ending yo-yo draconian lockdowns that never stop and never solve anything. And remember, lockdowns were never supposed to be a permanent strategy. Even the wacky WHO said no, do not use them over over. It is a short term, you know, interrupt the case spread and then that's it. But you can't keep going back to them. And yet they've become this easy go-to. And so we've seen small businesses crushed. We've had children being deprived of the chance to be a child, robbing of you know, them of their educations, robbing them of you know milestones they'll never get back. And the politicians keep telling us, hey, we've got your backs, that the vaccines are the ticket out. And yet here we are two years in, and we're no better off than we were in 2020, despite being more protected than any other time. I mean, they tell us we're all in this together, but that, you know, they don't seem to ever notice that the small businesses and private sector have paid the greatest price. And these are the same politicians who have weaponized policy decisions to score points without a thought of the divisions that it's causing and the fear that it stokes. And so anyone wondering Why are all these thousands of trucks rolling across this country should really look no further than to the politicians across the aisles, all of them, who have created this movement. That's because for two years, too much politics has been played to deflect from government failures, and politicians who have used this crisis to further their own agenda at the cost of the greater good. And they fail to continually understand this anger and this frustration and the exhaustion and, yes, the mental health suffering that they themselves have created. So instead of taking shots and pot shots at the convoy, I think, you know, Trudeau and all the rest of them should maybe show a little bit of understanding and maybe realize that a lot of people are at a breaking point. So what we need is some measured leadership instead of pouring gas on what could turn into a tinderbox
2: so let's support these truckers fighting for freedom fighting as patriots in their country and patriots in America we need more people willing to push back and say enough is enough to the nonsense They want to lock down Ottawa, the state capitol, until the mandates are lifted, until freedom is restored in their country. And honestly, guys, the time has come to end all of this now. And if we all take a similar and peaceful approach to doing it, we'll get it done.
0: We do not have a state capitol, but nonetheless, that is a big endorsement for the convoy from Donald Trump Jr. And this is a story uh, making headlines around the world. And certainly uh, he's urging Americans to follow suit, but his message uh, will only, I think, further polarize this movement, which is is not an anti-vax protest, as many keep calling it. It is a push to vaccine mandates, which is a completely different issue. There are a lot of people at this thing who are vaccinated. They just don't believe in the government forcing that. I don't believe in mandates. I think people should get vaccinated. I don't believe the government should force anybody to do it. But it's now grown into a giant pushback to all government overreach over the last couple of years. And one of the big you know, challenges when you get a big protest like this is it faces the risk of being taken over by those who have and push their own agenda. And already we have seen politicians on the left and right using it to push their agenda when I think they should be calling for calm. And so naturally we've got fringe elements calling for silly things like a Capitol Hill-style attack, and then there are those who actually believe that they'll bring the Trudeau government down. And so organizers now find themselves trying to keep calm and truck on And so that this thing doesn't get out of hand and distract from the bigger issue. Kim Tim Kodir is a volunteer with the Sioux Justice Center. He's also a volunteer coordinator of the Freedom Convoy and he joins us now. Good to have you, Tim.
2: Yes, very good evening. How are you folks doing?
0: Well, you know, it's um it's interesting watching what's going on from from this vantage point. But I think there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of confusion about this because this started as one cause. It has certainly morphed into many others, and then you get a lot of noise from the fringes that seem to want to take the message. So, what are some of the concerns on the ground with organizers just trying to keep the focus?
2: The uh, the main concern is we want we want to retain the presence of peace and calm, but at the same time we want to uh lay bare that this is a heavy-handed uh, ordeal to the point where people are losing their jobs. And you so can't how, have do, you, how do you
0: do that then You
2: know it's not gonna be a peaceable society that's in harmony that uh, when your job is being threatened on a sustained basis.
0: So on the ground, I know that there are organizers. Um, I mean, one thing about this convoy is that it's organized, but it's not it's not uh, really. I mean, there's it's tough to get people uh, to talk because they're kind of all over the place, uh, different points in the country. And so on the ground, what are organizers trying to do to make sure, you know, that um, that the rhetoric and the threats and those kinds of things are are tuned out or at least, um, you know, not kind of catching on? Can you hear me, Tim?
2: Yes, I can hear you. I just got yeah, sure. uh, uh Anyway, uh, the problem that, that, that I see is that, um, uh, you know, we we, we we mean the best. Everyone wants, wants the best out of this whole scenario. All we ask is to have freedom of choice, freedom to survive and maintain a livelihood for ourselves. We're not, we're not asking for, uh, we, we want calm, we want peace. What, uh, what other people do on the fringes is out of the realm of work, what we want. We just want to be able to go to work, provide for our families, make choices for our own bodies. If someone else so wants th- to choose for their own body to do something, that's that's up to them.
0: And so at this rate, it's hard to see um, how many people will end up arri- arriving in Ottawa. It'll be a huge number. Um, I'm not sure it'll be millions. I don't know if it'll be tens of thousands. I don't know if it will be thousands, but it will be a big presence. Um, what What are you expecting once you get there? Is it Is it that you stay there for the day? Is it that you stay there until something changes? What is ultimately the goal? Is there something organized at that point?
2: yes we do we we do have a schedule for us right now is for as long as september the 4th but they've committed and vowed to themselves that we will stay as long as it takes until they until the mandates have uh, been brought to a close
0: and is there optimism that those in ottawa are listening
2: we're hoping we're hoping that this will be a, a tone of sensibility and of reason of uh, realigning, uh, we want this to be a peaceful transition. We want it. We want it to win for everybody, uh, and still be smart about our healthcare too.
0: And so you know that there's a lot of frustration out there, and and I suspect some of the online uh, rhetoric is just bluster. But as you well know, because you have been involved in in big gatherings like this, um, it, it only takes one blowhard to cause a lot of trouble. And there will be those in the crowd who are looking to capitalize on the anger and look for that anger to tap into.
2: Yeah, we understand that, but that's beyond the realm of what we are. We can only do what we can do and be responsible for what we what we want to put forward. What some radical faction wants to do and not, for whatever reasons is beyond what we, we have in mind, it's got nothing to do with our agenda. All we want is peace, our jobs back, be to make our own decisions and sensible uh, decisions on uh, on the government side that we've done for decades before and to resume some sense of normality that's that's all we're really asking
0: normal is a nice thing I, I barely remember it but nonetheless I think that is what what has brought many to the point of where they are in fact uh, you know tuning into this and and watching it some people will watch it from afar some people will get involved some people will um you know uh, watch it and not admit they are watching it but there's no question uh this has probably been bigger than what was first uh you know uh, thought up is is that the thought did it ever did it ever dawn on you that this would get this big
2: no uh it didn't but it didn't take long for that to change. Uh, when we, finally, people stood up. As more people stood up, more people braver that were sitting in their basements and, and being in dismay. And then it just started to take off. And the more people stepped to the plate, the more uh, relaxed people felt to come out of the closet, if you will, and let their position be known. And I think it's only going to get bigger and bigger. The numbers are just growing exponentially.
0: And I should point out, for those who don't really know what's going on, I mean, the the trucks are going by, but you're getting enormous support as well over the highways, the overpasses, that kind of support. Is that happening um, in city to city that you you guys are seeing?
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. I was watching live feed from Medicine Hat last night, and as far as you can see with the eye, there were rows and rows of people, uh, banners, flags, uh, waving, cheering, and they were on both sides of the street while the convoys were, were running through.
0: There have been concerns about the GoFundMe. I mean, it raised an enormous amount of money, far beyond what was, um, I think, the initial target. It is still coming in. I think the account has been held because of concerns of where the money is going. Has that been sorted out yet?
2: Uh, to my knowledge, it's it's not been held. It's just uh, it's still allowed to grow, uh, but I think there's some kind of an auditing process that's uh, taking place, and and uh, but they're prepared. It's all legal. It's the people's money. At the end of the day, if the the, if the heavy hand of government strips the Canadians of their right to support a cause, I think it speaks more about them than it does for our movement. We want peace. That would, to me, would be an act of aggression. But I'm not going to. I'm. I'm not there. We don't know those details. I'm just saying, if that were the case, uh, it, it it doesn't have a very good smell to it.
0: When you guys arrive in Ottawa, obviously you can't fit thousands of trucks into Ottawa. Um, I'm not sure where they're going to park them, but how how is it going to work that you will um, get up to the nation's capital, all those people in there and all those vehicles? Has that all been sorted out?
2: Uh, You know what? This is all new turf. Uh, No one has a perfect handle (laughs) on it. No one knows how big it's going to be. I think it's going to be far bigger than anyone anticipated. And it's going to be what it is. And we're hoping it's big enough that the government says, listen, we have to draw some degree of uh, concession here and, and give the, the people some degree of uh, of confidence that pressing forward, we're going to use some sensibility instead of a heavy hand.
0: What is the greatest misunderstanding right now out there? What is one of the narratives that you're listening to and saying, no, that's not right, that you want to correct?
2: Well, the biggest narrative is that uh, they, we're called anti-vaxxers and and that we're, we're we're trying to bring the government down. No, we're trying to work with the government. We're trying to uh, uh, support everybody. Everyone has the right to make their own choices. And my life, uh, my my livelihood should not depend on whether I'm uh, prepared to take a, a vaccine. That if you look at bears, like there's over 21,000 people that have died from it. And also that said, it's, it's pretty telling that if you if you have reservations, you have some, some pretty good cause. Now with that said, I'm gonna give you the, the phone over to my my friend here who has a lot more knowledge on that than I do.
0: Well, I'm actually I'm I'm out of time, Tim. I'm up against the clock, so I'm not gonna have time. I will continue talking about this. I talk about this every night, but we'll um I wanted to make sure that we were kind of keeping up with it. But I'll thank you for your time and we'll talk again.
2: All right. Well hey, thank you. It's been my pleasure and we're the hoping... For the best for everybody, and it all plays out in, in everyone's favour. Thank you, sir. Good to talk. Thank you. Have a good night. That is uh,
0: Tim Coderre, who is part of this uh, convoy, one of the organisers on the ground, and that is, uh, there you go. There's some clear talk on this, so hopefully it clears up some of the uh, noise out there. Have you here on this Wednesday? So the question, you know, can Aaron O'Toole survive to live another day as a leader? I mean, he's getting attacked pretty much from every side, including his own party. I mean, the base is angry that he's abandoned these true blue promises he made to them during the leadership run, things like the flip flop on the carbon tax. But, you know, he's also failed to capitalize on Justin Trudeau's many failures in an election that was really his to win. And he had a good start. But then the campaign fizzled because of the very predictable wedge attacks that were launched and he couldn't deliver a coherent message on vaccine mandates to counter it. And then he continually stumbles to take a stand on issues. I mean, he was asked eight times Monday, will you meet with the truckers in the convoy? You know, he's got his own MPs out there supporting them and he wouldn't get a straight answer. So he kind of keeps handing these small wins to Trudeau and his party's now heading into a caucus retreat for the next couple of days where he's facing growing pressure to hold a leadership review immediately instead of August 2023 that he has scheduled. And if you look at who would benefit from this review, well... Here, Polyevra is polling way out in front as preferred leader. Warren Kinsella, president of Daisy Group, but a former political strategist for one Jean creche He joins us now. Good to have you.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: You know, Aaron O'Toole is a decent guy. I think you know he's an easy guy to like, and I think a lot of people, I'm including myself, had a lot more um, hope that he would do better than he has. But it is very frustrating to watch him. You know, constantly try to saddle straddle two sides to make everyone happy. He's failing everyone.
1: And you know what you were saying is true. Like he is decent. uh, He's not a dummy. Um, and he's running against a prime minister who I personally consider to be the worst prime minister of my lifetime. And, you know, mm. he still can't win. Why is that? I think the big problem, you know, that he's got is that it's, it's kind of the Paul Martin syndrome, you know, where you try and please everybody. You want to be loved by mm. everybody and you end up yep. being disliked by everybody. And, you know, you identify just a couple of the issues, whether it's, you know, carbon tax. Um, but during the election, I think there were two that really hurt him and they were literally existential in the sense that they Mm -hmm. relate relate to human existence. And that was the assault weapon thing and, and vaccinations, as you put your finger on the assault weapon thing, um, was a big mistake. I felt because it was in their platform, so they couldn't erase it. And basically it was him kind of saying, well, I'm okay with this weapon that was used in the Montreal Massacre and the Nova Scotia Massacre being still on the street. And I had said to one of his guys when it all happened, I said, man, you're in trouble. And he said, why? And I said, because you're, you're – cur- I said, that that weapon – and I said, I'm a gun owner – that weapon is used by 5,000 people in Canada. So you basically you've scuttled basically a week of the campaign in order to satisfy 5,000 gun owners – but the big one, I think, was vaccinations. And, you know, even now, Alex, as you and I speak, at this moment, I still don't know what his position is on vaccinating his candidates in his caucus. Doug Ford, I know. Doug Ford said, if you want to be a candidate, you want to be a member of my caucus, you got to get vaccinated. If you don't, you're out. Aaron O'Toole, we still don't know.
0: Yeah, and and these wedges are not unexpected. They are very um, they're very well known in liberal circles. I mean, you would know. I mean, they are good at it, and so you would think after a couple of decades, conservatives would expect to know what to expect. And for whatever reason, they just can't. Whether it's Arrow Tool or Andrew Shear, I you know Stephen Harper could could handle it, but no one has been able to since. And so they keep losing when there is just so much meat on the bone for them to chew on. There is so much for them to attack. This government on, and they just can't get traction, and so then you get people like Pierre Polyevra. You know, he's very polarizing. People love him or they hate him, but he says what he says, and it seems to resonate.
1: One of the things I've learned in politics, because as you know, I uh, I supported Hillary Clinton. I worked for her in three different states. I worked for her in her Brooklyn headquarters, and you know, you learn more in politics by losing than by winning. You know, you, and it's like. Why did we lose against Donald Trump? You know, this this dislikable guy, this guy who says all these terrible things. And to me, it relates to the point you just made with Trump, even though he was an SOB and he said racist things and he said sexist things and so on. You at least knew where he stood. He had a lane and he stayed in it with Hillary, despite all of her accomplishments, you know, first lady, secretary of state, you know, all of that stuff, senator, things that she'd done you still didn't feel after all of that that you knew what was in her heart. You didn't mm-hmm. know what her passion was. What was there Trump was no sincerity. It. Yeah, and it's like it's authenticity. It's the connection, right? You hear about that all the time in politics. You have a connection with voters. Aaron Tool's big problem is, at the end of the day, we don't know what his passion is. You know, we don't know what's in his heart. He was a social conservative during the leadership race then he kind of turned his back on them right after he won the leadership. You know, the assault weapon thing we've talked about, vaccinations, mm-hmm. carbon taxes. Like, it, it's just, you don't know what he stands for. And it's, it's not a case of voters wanting a politician who always agrees with them. They know that, you know, they're going to have a candidate who isn't in sync with them on 100% of their priorities and their issues. They want to know that you believe in something. And the problem with O'Toole is they just don't feel that they do. They don't know where he stands.
0: Yeah, and and I don't need to point it out to you. There is huge anger in this country. There's a lot of division in this country, and there are people out there, whether they're conservative or not, who are just desperate for some leadership and another choice. And some of them are liberals who are just sick of Justin Trudeau and the games and all the stuff. They see the issues. They're desperate for a choice, and they don't see it out there. And so then you get guys like... Uh, Maxime Bernier, who's tapped into this anger, um, and and he's tapping into it. Uh, and, and so you've got all these, you know, uh, fringe groups that are tapping into this anger and, and just exacerbating it.
1: Yeah. And, they, you know, anger, I mean, anger's always been in politics, but you I absolutely agree with you. I've never seen as much anger as there is right now. And obviously a big source of that, you know, inflation's yeah. in the mix and some other things, but it's mainly the pandemic. And people mm-hmm. want to know, you know, when this is going to end. They feel betrayed. They feel depressed. They feel dejected. They feel like they've been lied to on the right and the left. And, the, you know, as you said at the start, that creates a huge opportunity for a politician like Aaron O'Toole. Like, Jeremy Singh is never going to be prime minister. Everybody knows that.
0: Who's the, never going you know, to be held to
1: account. Yeah. yeah. It, the only alternative is Aaron O'Toole. So O'Toole needed to say you know, this is what I said to a couple of those guys and gals, like tell them the three things that you're going to do to deal with the pandemic. How are you going to get vaccines faster? How are you going to make sure that they have rapid tests, right? They bought hundred million tests, you know, the Trudeau guys, where are they? That's three for every Canadian, right? You can't find one for love or money. You know, mm-hmm. talk about how you're going to deal with the fiscal challenge we're going to have at the end of this thing, because it's been pretty damn expensive. He hasn't done any of those things. And people have noticed and they're unimpressed and they're voting with their feet. So like Trudeau is not popular, but neither is Aaron O'Toole.
0: Yeah. And so just before I let you go, um, you know, so this is going to be a fairly uncomfortable uh, caucus retreat because there's a lot of tension within the party. Um, and, and I don't think it's a secret that Pierre Poilievre is kind of angling himself for a leader. Uh, ship. However, how do you see this um, rolling out? Because there's the one argument saying, don't switch leaders. You've got to give them another chance. But look, we're four, three, four months out from that election. We're still hearing the same kind of wavering. And I think there's real a- anger, certainly within the base. Like I-, I don't even know who I vote for anymore. I'm politically homeless because I'm just waiting for someone to step up and stand for something, show some leadership. And so how do you see this uh, uh, kind of unfolding?
1: I'm with you. I'm politically homeless, too. I think they got the worst of both worlds. They don't have enough people who are stepping up in the way that Senator Batters did, saying, get Mm -hmm. rid of Aaron O'Toole. You need to have people step up to a microphone and say that. There's not enough of them doing that. But by the same token, there's nobody stepping up to the microphone and saying, this guy is going to be the next prime minister. So he's in this kind of political limbo. And I think it spells another liberal victory. I, you know, it's an open question as to whether Trudeau is going to be around next time. He's looking like Mm -hmm. he's getting kind of fed up with the job himself. But at this point, I just don't see how Aaron O'Toole can to win, but I also don't see how the party can get rid of him. I think they're stuck with him. I think we're stuck with the, stuck with the leaders we've got for the time being.
0: Not good for the country when you don't have a healthy opposition. Nonetheless, we will uh, surely talk about it again. Very much appreciate your time. Thanks.
1: Thanks, my friend. Take care.
0: That's a, Warren Kinsella weighing in on this and we'll see what happens uh, in the next couple of days.
3: Today I've authorized the extension of Operation Unifier for three more years and the expansion of this training mission as well as immediate support. This is a $340 million commitment. As part of it I've authorized the Canadian Armed Forces to deploy 60 personnel within days to join the approximately 200 women and men already on the ground, with further capacity to increase the number of people on the ground up to 400.
0: Okay. According to Justin Trudeau, that's Canada standing steadfastly with Ukraine. Christian Freeland took a tone more hawkish, saying that this threat by Russia is a fight between authoritarian regimes and democracy, yet for all the tough talk, Canada's not going to be sending any lethal weapons to Ukraine, despite the fact that they are begging us for weapons. And so, as you heard, the Prime Minister, we're going to send 60 more troops to join the 200 troops on the ground that are training Ukrainian forces. Now, we'll send intelligence and cyber support. You know, we have the third, world's third largest Ukrainian population in this country. And we have a government talking good game, but what they are saying today is that they're going to support Ukraine, except they're just not going to actually give them anything that they need. And so Trudeau keeps saying the only response is diplomacy. Well, diplomacy is not working. And if Vladimir Putin knows there's no price for him to pay through either sanctions or force or whatever, why wouldn't he invade? Let me bring in retired Vice Admiral Mark Norman, who's now a senior defense strategist with Samuel Associates and a was, of course, the former Vice Chief of our Defence Staff. Good to have you.
4: Well, good evening, Alex, and uh, belated best wishes for 2022 to you and your listeners.
0: Aren't you kind. Thank you. And it's off to uh, quite a start. Um, when you... The, the, the talk to me just doesn't walk the walk on this. Um, your thoughts when you heard our approach to this?
4: Well, in some ways, I'm not surprised. Um And I say that because um, there is a gap uh, between the rhetoric and the reality, uh, as you've identified in your opening comments. The other reason I'm not surprised is that, uh, unfortunately, um, we've got ourselves uh, to a point in Canada where there aren't a lot of options available to us. Um, uh, We've allowed... Uh, the military to atrophy um, extensively over the last decade or so in particular. And um, when it comes to what we could realistically do, um, I, I, I'm not even sure we could provide um, lethal weapons. Uh, I don't like the language, the terminology, but the kind of weapon systems that are being provided, for example, by the United Kingdom and the United States, uh, we have an extremely limited inventory ourselves. And I don't think we'd be able to send them even if, even if we were prepared to do so politically. So I'm worried that uh, this is um, a lot of um, noise from a country that is unfortunately becoming less and less relevant on the international stage, notwithstanding the significant Ukrainian population we have, as you mentioned. And not
0: to mention the major geopolitical threats that keep inching closer to us, because um, as you well know, I don't need to tell you, I mean, Russia has staked its claims in the Arctic. It's a major threat um, to taking that from us. Uh, They've loaded in some massive amount of artillery and weapons, Uh, we don't seem to bother worrying about that. And of course, China is likely watching all of this with the intent to swoop in and take Taiwan, fully knowing that we won't do anything for that either because we abandoned to stand with uh, Hong Kong. And so here we've got a country that is surrounded by heavily armed Russian troops at the border. No one really knows when Vladimir Putin's going to make a move. But given, uh, you know, the lead up to this, we've got NATO, which is seems very fractured. Um, France is doing its own thing, talking. You got Germany's doing its own thing, talking. Canada's just talking and not doing anything. And then you got the United States, which President Biden last week hinted, well, they can do a little incursion and then kind of came back and said, no, no, that's not what I meant. And I don't really even know where the United States stands on this.
4: Yeah, so I'm not going to try and interpret um, what Washington is thinking or doing, um, but I think you've laid out some very concerning um, observations. I think the the inconsistencies across NATO are of concern. I also think that that's playing right into Putin's hand. Um, Whether he decides uh, or not, to actually cross the border in the Ukraine. I think he's achieving probably 90% of what he's mm-hmm. set out to do, which includes destabilizing the West. I think this is a significant test to um, Washington. I think it's a significant test to the alliance. Um, I don't think that Canada is being overtly tested, but going back to your opening comments, I think it's a demonstration of the kind of problems we've got ourselves in. And yes, uh, I have no doubt, because the parallels between the um, the pressure on Ukraine and the potential annexation of Ukraine are no different than uh, the discussions that are ongoing as it relates to Taiwan. And, and uh, mm-hmm. kudos to you for making that connection, because a lot of people won't make that connection. Um, but it is. It's there, and it's obvious.
0: Well, I would have to think that China's watching this very closely to see, well, what will the West do? I mean, if they're not going to stand up for this, I mean, why wouldn't they swoop in? Uh, I think there's a real question that Canadians are going to have to start to ask them. I mean, no, no one wants to go to war. But at the same time, we have uh, up until, well, sadly, it's been a few years now. I mean, Canada has stopped punching above its weight. We're not punching below our weight, but we are not defending um, anything at this point, point. Um, and so what is our role going to be in the world moving forward? Because whether people like military or fighting or whatever, we still need to defend this nation, and it doesn't seem like anyone has a plan to start looking, at, at, you know, forward.
4: Well, I think that that uh, is is probably the most important question uh, for Canadians in this in the context of what's playing out. I think we are finding ourselves more and more isolated. Um, notwithstanding our geographic proximity to the United States, that relationship is mm-hmm. uh, is is strained. It's not what we grew up thinking it it ha- it was, um, and we're going to have to step up and redefine that relationship. And I think as part of that, we need to look at uh, who we want to be um, on mm-hmm. the global stage, and and we can't pretend that these issues aren't going to affect us. Um, I go back to the pandemic that we're now two years yeah. into dealing with. And that is, that is basically a dumb virus that has held the, the world hostage. And look at the mm-hmm. impacts on Canadians day to day. When we start to look at the fact that we don't, we don't live on an island and we can't pretend that these things aren't going to affect us. Um, these security challenges are real. And I think they are going to get more, more pressing as time goes on
0: and not to mention i mean I think there is at least enough evidence by now that china should be uh, held to account and it doesn't seem like there's much um you know hunger to do that uh, given their lies um and what they've done with this virus i think that, that at some point i'd like to see that conversation will they be held to account but you know um there is something we can do i mean we have magnitsky san- sanctions um that is something that we are threatening but we don't act on and vladimir putin's got money stashed all over the world and so even the tools that we do have we aren't using
4: yeah and I think that there's an underlying fear uh and I, I'm not sure I mean I can I can think of why but I don't understand why we allow ourselves to be held hostage by these these fears we're scared of China we're scared of um you know going too far with Russia I think that's what what's behind some of this um uh, hypocrisy uh, between what we're saying and what we're doing and um you know I, I think i think we need to we need to start taking ourselves more seriously and we need to start acting um, um in, in a more sophisticated and mature fashion um if we want to be taken seriously if we don't want to be taken seriously then perhaps um sadly uh, we're on the right track
0: I mean, Mitt Romney, when he was running against uh, Mr. Obama, uh, at the time said, you know, Russia is the greatest geopolitical threat of our time. And and he was laughed at. Um, Now we've got Russia and China who are big geopolitical threats. And um, people just seem to shrug. And, you know, I I just, uh, I fear moving forward that the conversations we need to have will not be had.
4: Right. And and open source analysis points to um, you know, United States strategic assessment um, describing their worst case scenario where they have to deal with simultaneous or near simultaneous events related to Indo Pacific and in China, related to right. Russia, and related to the Middle East. And if you did a Google search of the news over the last, you know, week or so, you see all three of these playing out um, perhaps with different levels of intensity but they're all there they're all active and um you know this should this should be concerning um to to canadians because it's going to affect our lives um whether it affects them directly it's going to have secondary and tertiary effects on global security the global economy and all of those things are going to affect us in one way or another here at home
0: not to mention uh, our children. They will be left to deal with our mistakes. Always uh, very much appreciate your time, so I'm so happy you could come on with us. Thanks so much. I hope you're well.
4: Well, good evening, Alex. Thank you very much. And to you and your listeners, all the best. Cheers. And
0: that is a retired Vice Admiral Mark Norman joining us uh, with a wealth of knowledge about these kinds of things. And so we're happy to have him and uh, take stock of what he says. I just think uh, the conversations need to be had. We cannot, as he says, continue to ignore this. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join me Monday through Friday live starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.